In the wake of all the political change in the Middle East, Islamist governments are on the rise, and with them, concern about the rights of religious minorities. But did you know this? In 1998, Congress passed the International Religious Freedom Act, which makes consideration of religious freedom an official part of America's foreign policy calculus. The act established a commission, along with an ambassador, to help ensure that, around the world, the United States does what it can to ensure that people could practice their religion freely. What does that mean? What role, if any, for instance, should the United States play to ensure religious freedom in the Middle East? Joining us to talk about what the U.S. is doing, or should be doing, is Elliot Abrams. He is a former official with the George W. Bush administration, a one-time Assistant Secretary of State for Human Rights, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and also a member of the Commission. Thank you very much for joining us. And, and before we get too far into this, Elliot Abrams, we should make it very clear that you are not here speaking for the Commission. Right. I'm just speaking for myself. Thank you. Now, we know, for instance, Islamist parties have made inroads in Tunisia, in Libya, and now in Egypt. We have the first Islamist president to assume power. So what does this mean for cops or, or Jews or other minorities? The cops in Egypt certainly feel endangered. I think there are some opinion polls showing that uh, virtually all of them voted against the Muslim Brotherhood candidate. Um, they're worried, and there are, in at least some of the speeches and practices of some of the Islamist groups over the years, reason, I think, for them to be worried. So it's a concern, and it ought to be a key issue that we, the United States, raise with these new governments. And how exactly do we do that? Well, there's a preliminary question here, openly or privately. Does the president in his speech or the secretary of state in his speech say, look, our relations with you, uh, we hope are going to be good, but it's going to depend in part on how you treat religious minorities. And in fact, we've done that. That is, the president and the secretary have done that. Uh, the other thing then is, is uh, what do you say privately? That is, you can say to them, this is not just a speech. Our country is about, what, 90 percent uh, Christian. Uh, Congress cares a lot about this. And if this becomes an issue, let me assure you, it's going to really hurt bilateral relations. I would hope that that is, in fact, what they're saying, just so that people realize on the receiving end, this is not posturing. This is a serious potential issue. How do you make sure that doesn't translate then into a larger dispute, say, between the United States and other governments? It can, and they can interpret it as the United States being a Christian country that's just interested in advancing uh, the rights or privileges, as they may see it, of Christians. I don't think there's any real way around that, because the truth is it would be an issue. Take Egypt. If cops by the thousands were beginning to leave, if you had violence against Coptic churches and the police were not or the army was not protecting those churches, I think that would be an issue in the United States very quickly. So I don't think it should be our goal to keep that out of the bilateral relationship by playing it down. Uh, it should be our goal to keep it out of the relationship by trying to persuade them to truly protect religious freedom. The United Nations Declaration of Human Rights specifies freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. But there's also a Declaration of Human Rights uh, in Islam signed by 45 states belonging to the Organization of the Islamic Conference, and it makes no mention of religious freedom. So talk for a minute about how freedom of religion is understood 
if we don't want to say by the Middle East as a whole, at least by these 45 states belonging to this conference? There's a potential problem here. Several Islamic countries led by Saudi Arabia took exceptions. That is, they didn't say, yes, we sign. They said, yes, we sign, except when it comes to religion. For example, nobody has a right to convert from Islam to any other religion, said the Saudis. And there are still countries where uh, that's essentially impossible. They're Muslim countries uh, where, in some cases, it's the government, as in Saudi Arabia. In others, it's popular opinion. You really risk your life if you are outed, as it were, as someone who converted from Islam to Christianity. You know, that's going to be an issue between us and some of these governments. Not all. Uh, the leader of the Ennahda Party, which is now the governing party of Tunisia, has said when he was here in Washington, he is uh, absolutely firm on the view that there can be no compulsion uh, when it comes to religion and that people have an absolute right to convert out of Islam. But unfortunately, that is not a universally held view, and I think one can predict it's going to become an issue. The, the second issue I would point to is the blasphemy question. That is, uh, what is it that you can say that is going to land you in trouble? Under legal codes, you can be um, arrested and worse. I, I want to just concentrate for one moment here on, on Saudi Arabia, because that is I think a key example of the challenges, shall we say, of when you have a major ally who also we have put on the list, you know, countries of particular concern, I believe is the wording that comes from the commission when they are talking about countries where, hey, we're really worried about religious freedom here. There's, it's still a problem there and we still need them. It's a huge problem. I mean, there is no freedom of religion in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the total number of churches in Saudi Arabia is zero. And this is a country where they have about a million and a half Christians, many of them Filipinos, who are working in Saudi Arabia, who have no access to the sacraments, even though they're Catholics. It's an issue that we've talked to the Saudis about. You know, I guess you'd say that under several presidents of both parties, we've said our piece and we've essentially um, disagreed to disagree about it. it. For national security concerns, correct? National security and economic security, that is, the Saudis is the largest uh, supplier of oil to the world. Former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright said that lasting change when it comes to promoting religious freedom in other countries is more likely to come through persuasion than making blunt demands. I'm wondering what the distinction is between countries where persuasion works and countries where you might need something stronger. We can't really make blunt demands in many of these cases. You're talking about something that is really woven into the culture of a country. The only place where you can make a demand is in a particular case. I can remember a case in Pakistan, for example, where there was somebody who'd converted to Christianity. Uh, he was in jail. We could ask them to let him out of jail and let him emigrate. That's the kind of thing where you can make a demand. You're talking about the situation in Saudi Arabia, for example. If we were to demand of them okay, you have until August 1st to allow churches to be built, to allow complete freedom of religion. Well, it's, it's not going to happen. I think Secretary Albright was right in saying that in most cases and on the most serious issues, our best bet is to continue to raise the issue, continue to press, continue to try to persuade and hope that over time the situation ameliorates. How has your own faith affected uh, the work that you've been doing in this area? I'm not sure of the answer to that. Uh, I'm a Jew, and I think the 
uh, it, it may simply be that in Jewish history, particularly in Europe, of course, that, that a small uh, community can really be subjected to horrendous persecution and even in death. So that when I look at a community like the Baha'i uh, in a country like Iran, a community of pretty well-educated middle-class people being subjected to this uh, terrible discrimination, uh, not only in Iran, but particularly in Iran, it brings back some reflections to me on the, on the history of uh, those small and defenseless Jewish communities. Elliot Abrams, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks.